0: Welcome to the Nerd Party. Want to be a part of the Nerd Party community? Don't forget to like our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash thenerdparty and follow us on Twitter at joinnerdparty. You can also help us by leaving a rating and comment in Apple Podcasts to help spread time and space to other listeners. If you want to contact us, visit thenerdparty.com contact, click on our show logo, and leave a comment for us there. Space, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm Jessica Nunn.
1: And I'm Philip Gilfus, her husband and co host. Our topic today is notable ninth doctor episodes, continuing our ninth month ninth doctor spotlight focus. And so you and I both chose episodes, so someone cheated, and we'll get into it. Um, wait, For us. That,
0: just the way you said that suggested that I cheated, and I don't think I did.
1: Okay. So we'll be talking about that. And what are we going to be talking about for our Inside the Tardis Library segment?
0: Inside the Tardis Library, we're going to take a look at the movie Elizabeth from 1998, which has Christopher Eccleston playing Thomas Howard, the fourth Duke of Norfolk.
1: Interesting. I know. Well, let's get into our notable episode. So we both, as I said, picked episode parentheses s. End parentheses. No,
0: I'm making a choice, but then I felt like we needed to watch the other one as well.
1: Well, let's talk about your choice, All ladies right. first.
0: I chose mm-hmm. The Empty Child, and then we subsequently watched The Doctor Dances. And this, pre- the first episode premiered on the 21st of May, 2005, and it was written by Stephen Moffat. Yes,
1: his first official entry. As a writer for Doctor Who on television.
0: Oh, well there you go.
1: So, when he wrote, did write both episodes, I guess that you could assume that, but yeah. he did indeed.
0: Yep, excellent.
1: So we have two synopses. I don't know if you want to hit both, or just one, or what do you want to do?
0: Yeah, no, we can talk about both though. Chasing a metallic object through the time vortex, the Ninth Doctor and his companion, Rose Tyler, arrive in London during the Blitz. While Rose meets Captain Jack Hartness, the dashing time agent responsible for bringing the object, the doctor finds a group of homeless children terrorized by Jamie, an empty child wearing a gas mask. And then... Episode two. The child's plague is spreading throughout wartime London, and its zombie army is on the march. The Ninth Doctor and Rose form an alliance with intergalactic con man Captain Jack, but find themselves trapped in the abandoned hospital. They head to the crash site of Jack's supposed space junk and discover the ground zero for the mysterious plague dun dun. dun. dun, dun
1: so why did you choose the empty child for your ninth doctor notable episode
0: i the introduction of jack harkness
1: that's always good
0: yep first of all i think that with this episode we're seeing a much more playful ninth doctor Mm -hmm. I, I, i think it's a bit of an arc and whether it's intentionally an arc or whether it's just Eccleston sort of settling into the role and everybody settling into the idea of it but he seems much more at ease in his performance and I really enjoy that so yeah those are those I think are the two main reasons I love a good blitz story with Doctor Who I mean there are a lot of them right but I quite enjoy this one Um, And all of them. I think they're all a lot of fun. And it's such a quintessential British thing, Mm -hmm. the Blitz, um, that...
1: Our finest hour.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it absolutely was. And so I think there's a lot to mine from. And this idea is crazy and hectic. and, uh, And then if you want me to go into the second episode... Everybody lives. Everybody lives. Everybody lives. Yeah, it's very
1: interesting. You get, as you say, this is this is the Empty Child is the ninth episode of Doctor Who um, for Eccleston, and obviously tenth for the next one, I am for the settling in the role, and, and even for the characters you said. But yeah, we sort of get that playful beginning of, you know, where like, why are we following this object? He's like, I don't know. It's just there. We're just following yeah, it. That's <laughs> that. Yeah, that's that. Why no, not? No reason, you know. Um, it's, it, oh, yeah, because they had the MOVE alert.
0: Yes, yes. Which yes. you struggled with a little bit. Well,
1: it sounded like Mo, M O. Yeah, I didn't I didn't no, hear a V. I heard it. So. I
0: heard it. <laughs>
1: but anyway, um because Red, you know, can get so confusing. Yeah. So, yeah, but it, it was interesting to revisit this and see the introduction of Captain Jack because sometimes you forget. I it always did strike me that he seemed very, you know, in memory, seemed very different than what we got. But then there's a bit of an evolution of the character. He he's a little more harder edged by Torchwood. Um, but uh, I maybe mean, because he's sort of the main character mm-hmm. at that point, and no longer the companion. But yeah, I did like, and I also thought his look would be unique, which it is. But he does end up wearing that jacket uh, either in the first or second episode, so you do, do see what the cap and jack that we will be used to mm. uh, eventually. So yeah, um, and it was a sort of a nice, you know, as with Doctor Who, every Doctor Who story, you know, you want to split the. Characters. Doctor goes one way, finds some friends. Companion goes another way, finds some friends. So the Doctor found uh, Nancy and the children, and then the other Doctor eventually, and uh, Rose finds Captain Jack.
0: Yes. And the other thing I really like about this episode that I tend to like in Doctor <laughs> Who is when the bad guy isn't. Right. Um, and I think that, and that brings us into the second episode, of course, much more, but uh, yeah, the idea that it's just mistakes were made, misunderstandings, <laughs> if you will, and I always think that that's a fun thing to look at, because while black and white, good and evil is, is great, the shades of gray are, are what really make Doctor Who for me.
1: Mm-hmm. And there's nothing scary like a scary child. Exactly. Are no, you my mommy?
0: Yeah, but a misunderstood scary child. Mm. The gas you know, mask helps. It's, it's it's a little you know red rum, red rum. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoy the effects
1: of people of transforming. people
0: transforming into this gas mask thing. I mm-hmm. think I think that it, it happened a couple of times, and I was like, nice, yep. lovely. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's my.
1: And I do like the introduction of Captain Jack. uh, I mean, because it's Captain Jack, but I mean how it is. You know, it's interesting to go back and see how they did it because you know the character you know, but you know to have him full on with Rose. But then even actually, actually, I guess before we see full on with Rose, Mm. we see him with his. uh, He's
0: kind of flirting with the guy. Yeah,
1: original. He turns into gas
0: mask guy.
1: Archie. Archie, maybe was it?
0: Archie, I think sounds right.
1: And like then a, also... You've you got a nice bottom yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then... Uh, Time and place. And then when Rose is like, oh, I'll go distract him, and Jack's like, no, not your type, mate. <laughs> uh, and then later on when the Rose and the doctor are dancing, and she's like, you know, Jack, do you want to cut in? And and the doctor's like, yeah, but with whom? <laughs> so, yeah, straight away we get, no pun intended, right. Uh
1: well, it's 50th century, Rose. Oh, yeah. It. No, absolutely. <laughs>
0: absolutely. Jack's fluid nature. He,
1: he dances with a lot he, of people. He,
0: yeah. His dance card is always full.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love him.
1: Yeah. And it was interesting to see the interaction with the doctor and Nancy and the children. Because as he presents himself not as an authority figure, you know, when he shows up at the house where they're having the... The stolen dinner.
0: And he's like one of the other kids. Yeah. He's, he's a, just in the, in the mix.
1: And he's like, oh, that's a great, you know, great idea. Just, you know, just taking food and, you know, you know, so.
0: Absolutely.
1: A bit of a rogue.
0: Yes. Yeah. And like I say, I think this is where Eccleston really shines. Mm-hmm. When it feels like it's not a hardship. And we can talk a little bit more about Eccleston at some point I'm sure but Mm -hmm. sometimes he makes it very clear when he's working that he's not having a good time
1: (laughs) but and I shades of the seventh doctor for me in this episode Hmm. I can definitely see you know Sylvester McCoy's doctor doing this because he has that you know he has that dark planning side, which the Ninth Doctor has the dark side. But I mean, he also has that very playful side, and so yeah. I can see him showing up to the dinner, too, and be like, oh, what are we having? You know, pass yeah. the chops. Pass the gravy, right. yeah. yeah. Exactly.
0: Bring it on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there there seems to be the slightest frizzing between Rose and the Ninth Doctor, mm-hmm. but at the same time, a lot of it feels playful and professorial, like mm-hmm. the Seventh Doctor and Ace.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, just once, just once, he tells the cat. <laughs> I'll find someone who knows the meaning of don't run away. Yeah, wander away. Uh, it,
0: it, Interesting and kind of bizarre moments mm-hmm. of the Ninth Doctor with a cat. Yep. I was like, huh, I
1: <laughs> wonder what...
0: Went into that. Is there
1: actually, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I I mean, you would think Moffat wrote it in the script, but it just seems like, you know, the doctor grabs Kat and talks to him.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then Eccleston, who, again, is whether good or bad, Mm -hmm. is a little difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, And so his thoughts of I have to do what now? (laughs) (laughs) I have to pick up a what now? (laughs)
1: The, then, as you said, for the coming from that playful side, but at the end, where you're sort of having this Doctor Who-esque, you know, all these transformations and this whole towns, you know, turning into monsters or whatever you want to call it. But at the end, everyone lives. But you also have the, that build-up where he's like, "Oh, just once, just once, you know, let it happen," you know, and he does sort of his little magical flick, you know.
0: And again, that joy. In Everybody Lives, which I think is such a nice, particularly because the Doctor, the, the Ninth Doctor tends to be a little darker on the heels of being a War Doctor.
1: Maybe he's more of a pessimist by nature.
0: Yeah, yeah, and certainly on the heels of Richard E. Grant. Because,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I think with the introduction, I mean, you know, maybe this is going too deep into it, but if, when you go into Rose, the episode, uh, Rose, and he's sort of like, uh... I mean, I'm sort of going But where he's sort of saving um, Earth from the Altons or whatever it was. Yeah, weird you know. mannequins. Yeah, but it's sort of a kind of a, like, I don't know, I'm just here and it's just my job. I know, hi, how are you doing, whatever, bye, you know. And it's sort of, he's a very disengaged, almost a uh, a Grantian ninth doctor, yes. if you will. So, yeah. But by this time, you know, and then saving Jack, which, you know, you would think he would do, obviously. But, you know, still saves Jack at the end there. Yeah. Um, and we see sort of Jack's development from... Con man to sacrificing himself, though not meaning to, I suppose. (laughs) So Iron Man. (laughs) He would go out with a martini as well. Oh, yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I would be interested, and I haven't seen anything. I've, I've done a little bit, but not a lot of research. I'd be interested in knowing what research Eccleston did before coming in. He strikes me as somebody who would do research. Right,
1: and it's a hard character, right, yeah.
0: And so I just wonder, you know, and because he doesn't talk about his stint on Doctor Who very often, and then when he does, it's not usually in particularly glowing terms, hmm. so, so that information isn't readily available. You know, did he grow up on Doctor Who? Um,
1: doesn't seem the type, but I don't no, know, I don't want to stereotype. But, yeah. but I don't know. It was all Shakespeare growing up. Uh, yeah. I, don't know. I, d- I know nothing about him. Uh,
0: no, Exactly. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, working-class family. We didn't have TV. Maybe not a TV. There's a thing. But, yeah. What did he want to bring into this? That's an
1: interesting idea, yeah. Or... Was it just the page?
0: or, Or the pay. You know, I mean, it's one of the things... Again, doing research into Eccleston, and he's not afraid to be like, Yeah, I did Thor, and it's mainly I was just whoring myself out. <laughs> I'm
2: like,
0: Well, that's got to please everybody. <laughs> but yeah. okay, you know, and so I wonder was this just right? I need a paying gig, or. Do I have, do I feel something for the script that I'm seeing in front of me, or do I feel something for this character who's been in existence for forty years?
1: It would be interesting to talk to to Russell, and I don't know Russell. St- I don't know the man. Strikes me as Russell Stone doesn't talk out of school, but it would be, and I don't mean in a negative way, but like you know, where's is,
0: Eccleston? Well, but, Talks but I mean, out of school. Was, <laughs>
1: But it school. But was Chris? You know, we we were fans of The West Wing, and we listened to the podcast. You know, is he like a Richard? Schiff. Richard Schiff, where Richard's going to talk to the director and the writer and say, "Here's my twenty five suggestions." Yeah, you know, and, is, it's, is, and is Chris like that, or or, or or I mean, you know, I don't even he's not even difficult difficult, but just he seems the kind that, of, and I don't know him, but he seems the kind that would have questions, not just like a a Joshua Molina <laughs> who just reads the script and does what the script says. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's an interesting comparison because again, listening to the West Wing podcast and they've had Richard Schiff on a couple of times. And he sounds like a very difficult man to work with.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But mostly in a really positive way. Right, he's
1: asking the questions. He's, he's a
0: challenging man to mm-hmm. work with in a really positive way. Yeah. And I'm not sure. I feel like Eccleston has also gotten that reputation, but I don't know that it's been given that positive light. Right. And again, that could just be. Cultural or. Not necessarily cultural, but the way people it's always interesting the way people view it afterwards. Okay. I mean, the people on the West Wing love Richard Schiff. Right. You know, yeah. listening to him talk, I'm like, whoa, I don't know if I'd want to direct him or not because that sounds like hard, but everybody loves him. Right. That has not necessarily been the impression that Eccleston leaves. Whether that's his fault or not, I don't know. Yeah. I'd like to know more.
1: Yeah, listen, because I was, you know, especially I don't have the list of Ninth Doctor directors in front of me, but the directors of Doctor Who in that first season of the new series, you know, have they ever talked at conventions and working with Chris of, Mm. you know, and you know, of course, I don't know, you again, I don't know if if, whether it's the British culture or just whatever, you know, people just don't talk about that stuff.
0: Yeah, but (laughs) it's interesting because we were just recently listening to, or you were just recently, and I caught part of it listening to an interview with Billy Piper, right. Uh, doing some big finish stuff, and she talks about David Tennant.
1: Yeah. Now, to be fair, he was in the room eventually. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but still, she would know.
0: Yeah, and yes. and there doesn't say you know she doesn't say oh working with David is great and working with Chris was good too or working with Chris <laughs> was not good. There's. It,
1: yeah, it's this black hole.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Eccleston claims he was blacklisted after he left the show. Um, again, I've done a little research okay. that he had to come live in the U.S. for a little while because he couldn't get work in the U.K., blacklisted. Mm. Again, whether... And I don't know. just a
1: BBC thing or...
0: I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know enough right. about the culture. So, yeah. I don't
1: know. Yeah. I mean, I would... I don't know. We would have to. Do but, like, I mean, from an outside perspective, no matter what happened, no matter what happened, whether it was Chris, whether it was... um The Doctor Who production, whether it was BBC, whether it was everyone or no one, you know, you're starting this risky proposition of bringing back Doctor Who. Uh, Chris is doing great. It's hard because it wasn't out yet. Mm. It wasn't like, oh, no, this worked out. He's like, he left. Yeah. And then it came out.
0: Yeah. You don't know (laughs) if halfway through, you, you can't tell because, you know, with American shows three or four episodes in is how yeah. far in advance they are in filming. So they've got that feedback and, and it doesn't happen that way. Cause
1: like in other words, what I'm saying is it's something that became, even in the first season, I'm not saying, you know, cause it was, it, people thought, yeah, this is working out, you know, it wasn't gangbusters, but it was oh, okay. This is good. We're going, you know, but then that he left. So then it's like, well, okay, now we got to do everything all over again, you know, And uh, not everything, but you know, I'm thinking as far as getting a doctor. It all worked out, of course. It all of course worked out, of course. But I can see why people are all like, all right, well, is he someone that doesn't stick with you? You know, Yeah. Depending on... And, and, uh, but so. at
0: the same time, I can understand, <laughs> right, he's been contracted to do these however many episodes, and then that contract is over, and he's got to figure out how to put food on his table after mm-hmm. that. Because BBC doesn't pay extortionate right. amounts of money. Um, so he's got to figure out his next move. And so then if he's not available when the second season option... It,
1: it, Pick up or whatever they do with BBC. Yeah, <laughs> however
0: that works, that's not his fault. Uh-huh. and so, yeah, it's yeah. just murky. I'm looking forward to... I know,
1: Richard's... Uh, yes, um,
0: looking forward the to the next video. The next video.
1: So, yeah, Richard, if you're listening, we want to know all about the Christopher Eccleston <laughs> backstory. We, ne- <laughs>
0: we need to know more. We can't decide if we want to vilify him or not, and you need to tell us what to do. It's That's-
1: Facebook, it's complicated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. well, any more thoughts about your empty child, The Doctor Dances? Um, obviously, it sort of has... Uh, lasting Legacy with Are You My Mummy.
2: Um, yes. I mean, it's just one of those.
1: Of course, it's Moffat. I'm trying to remember if he did. Who did Blank? I wonder if he did Blank. But anyway, it's one of those great monster creations, even though it's a kid and it all turns out well. Yeah. It is sort of an iconic Doctor New Who, Doctor Who piece. So.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. I'm going to Captain Jack moving on there. So my choice, uh, coincidentally, um, of course I chose mine first, so this is just how it turns out, is actually the next episode uh, following these two. So it is Captain Jack's uh, second time in the TARDIS, or first full adventure in the Mm -hmm. TARDIS. And that is Boomtown, episode 11, which premiered 4th of June, 2005, which was written by Russell T. Davies. And do you want to do that synopsis, too? (laughs)
0: That's only because you want me to say these words. The ninth doctor and his companions, Rose Tyler and Jack Hartness, travel to modern day Cardiff and meet up with Rose's boyfriend Mickey. There they discover that their enemy, Blondfellfoch Pasimir Day Slithine, is very much alive, if without an easy escape route from Earth, and is willing to rip apart the planet to ensure her freedom.
1: Now, one reason I chose this episode is not because I remembered it well. Just because I remembered it as a talkie, that I just remember the scene of them sitting in the
0: restaurant, yes, yeah,
1: uh, and just sitting there with the villain and talking, which doesn't. Well, I'm sure people will think of a million examples. To me, it doesn't often happen in Doctor Who. There's not a lot of still moments. It's, I mean, it's not always action, and there are times when, in, in the midst of action, you have these moments of to to reflect. But it's not even, there's no action. I mean, it's just, you know, they captured her, you know, easily enough in the first act or whatever. I don't know how you break down this episode. But anyway, you know, the actual sort of plot of the episode per se is very short. You know, they find her, she has a plan, they stop her, they catch her. End of story until maybe a little twist at the end there. But it's sort of like the, the the large half of the episode is just character moments which is rare in new who mm. and well in all of doctor who, i suppose and in, but
0: particularly in character moments with your villain
1: right yeah because we not only have and we'll talk about the villain part probably but we also have the rose mickey relationship
0: mm. playing yes. a large part
1: which yeah i don't think i remembered it that it played this large of a part but we sort of get the mickey sitting down with rose and being like what's up you know where we where, 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 yeah yeah
0: i may or may not be dating some girl
1: yeah and they- Which
0: is fair, because you know she's buggered off with some other guy, for all intents and purposes. Yeah,
1: so let's uh, well, let's, let's let's do the Doctor and the villain first. So okay, you sort of have, and it's an interesting character of the Doctor, and Chris plays it interestingly. I mean, good, but uh, challenging. This, <laughs> yeah, this detached version, because you know when you know they they capture her, you know with the team working together, you have Rose, Mickey, Captain Jack, the Doctor, all that. But then she's like, oh, you know, we're going to take you back to Slythene or whatever. The, no, that's not what the planet's called. No, it is
0: definitely not. <laughs> but the planet
1: Slythene, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it's called, Cracker for or whatever. So, uh, then she's like, oh, well, we have the death penalty there. And so if you take me there and you know so everyone sort of has it's very sort of Dick Wolf Law and Order you know every character should have a different reaction um, it's always been his philosophy when you're writing a story every you know that's sort of his best his, his thing that He's always his dream is to write a story where every character literally has a different reaction to it you know so you know Mickey's an absolutist you know hey she did bad killer who gives you know whatever and the doctor sort of has this detached you know
0: Meh, not my, not my. I
1: didn't make the law.
0: Not my circus, not my monkey. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and so, and then Rose is sort of the one who's sort of maybe contemplating it a little bit more than everyone else, and
0: Jack Hartness is just flirting with everyone,
1: (laughs) exactly. And so, yeah, what do do you sort of think of the Doctor and the villain um, having their their date and their chat?
0: Yeah, first of all, I love some of the back and forth that felt a lot to me like. Oh, What's the name of the episode? Let's go kill Hitler. Let's
1: kill Hitler. Let's kill Hitler. Oh, oh, yes. I see what you are saying. Yeah.
0: So you know you've got the poison in the cup and all of those sorts of things that are very much like the River Tenth Eleventh uh, Doctor Banana Switch <laughs> and all of that stuff, which I just think is is a place that Doctor Who can show this really lovely slapstick side without it getting too mm-hmm. slapstick. But I like. We have this Doctor, particularly in retrospect, we have this Doctor who has just come off the Time War mm-hmm. and has slaughtered two races of people right? Uh, for the good of intergalactic whatever. Right. Um, and so that's, you know, it, his reaction makes sense. Mm-hmm. His, not my circus, not my monkey... I'm doing the right thing, taking a criminal back, end of discussion. But then, of course, when you sit down and face your enemy and look them in the eye, is that ultimately something that that you can do? And I think that that's always an interesting quagmire to end up in.
1: And then I'm going to jump into the latter part of the island here. But uh, because of that sort of the date, the conversation they have. And so you you get a, uh, we don't always, I mean, we do. But we don't always get a uh, reflective of the villain. So, you know, what is this uh, Lon Felthoch Passmore Day Slothing all about? You know, because we saw her before in um, the previous two part or World War Three or whatever it was called, uh, with this introduction of the Slovene. And, you know, so just like bad guy. Right. But, you know, she's sort of like, uh, you know, pretends is sort of like, you know, I was and I'm not making fun of this as, as a story. But, you know, I was raised bad. You know, I was forced to make my first kill. It was a societal thing. I am what society made me. You know, you can't blame me, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then <laughs> I did like her little. Uh, and it's also I mean, this is going to meander. also like that it isn't said in Cardiff. We don't this is our first. Set in Cardiff, story.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we film in Cardiff. We don't set.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so. but she saw, talks about like you know. He's like, oh no, don't you think someone will notice your plan? She's like, oh, well, well, Wales would fall into the sea, and you know, London wouldn't know. She's like, oh, I'm sounding Welsh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was an
0: interesting, yeah, moment. Uh-huh.
1: But the but there's there's this one sort of couple seconds of dialogue that's that to me is is powerful because she she talked about this earlier part in the episode where she doesn't, where, you know, she's kind of killing everyone left and right to, because of their foiling their plan. And the episode starts with her killing someone, but she doesn't kill this one reporter because she learns a little bit more about her, that she is uh, engaged and then that she's pregnant. And then, so she's the villain decides, you know, I'm not going to kill her, you know, whatever. And so she tells that to the doctor, you know, I let one go. And he's like, Oh, they always let one go. So they can tell themselves that they let one go. And then they're, Let's lets them kill hundreds and they, that they tell themselves that and she's like only a killer would know that so.
0: i was just gonna say I, I some of this discussion in the diner feels like the doctor interviewing himself a little bit this self-recrimination and and self-judgment as he's trying to judge her mm-hmm. again all with the specter of the war the time war hanging over his head
1: because and and again uh, having to watch this again you know i don't know if we know this at this point in the series but you know what we do know we can pretend we know um you know the doctor could be cons- because it's, you know, what really happened versus what he thinks happened. But anyway, he could be considered a war criminal, obviously, mm. genocide, you know, yes, guilty, you know. Absolutely. And so, doesn't he deserve to be punished, you know? Obviously, something that would hang over his head for several uh, <laughs> three generations. But anyway, so, yeah, it's interesting how he views that. And we sort of get that moment of contemplating that darkness of the Doctor.
0: Yeah. And again, it's one of those things that would have made the 50th anniversary special even more layered. Because there's that moment where in where they're in the prison cell
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um the war doctor or
2: Yeah.
0: Is it the War Doctor or Rose, the button, whatever <laughs> um, are talking about how tenant remembers versus how the man
1: who forgot. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the one who refu you know, the one who knows the exact number of people of- who died and the one who yeah, stopped yeah. counting, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. So then to add that layer of the Ninth Doctor I think would have been really interesting.
1: Mhm. And he, I mean and he would have played I mean yeah, John Hurt uh, played it well, but Chris would have played it well too. Well,
0: but I'm mm-hmm. not su- I'm not yeah. suggesting that they be any different. I'm just suggesting mm-hmm. the Ninth Doctor also be part of that conversation. Right. You know, if the War Doctor is looking at the Ninth Doctor, the Tenth Doctor, and oh. the Eleventh Doctor. Mm-hmm.
1: So you're not replacing Nine with War. No, you're not adding at all. Nine.
0: I'm adding Nine mm. into the mix mm-hmm. of, you know, the one who was literally still hearing the screams mm-hmm. versus the one who counted all the loss mm-hmm. versus the one who had to stop counting for his own sanity. Right. And I think, yeah, it would have been an interesting layer.
1: Well, let's lighten up a little bit with Rose and Mickey. What would you think of uh, their little dynamic?
0: I just, I, I think that, I think that their relationship follows true to form all the way through their arc, which mm-hmm. I think is really lovely. They, they've never been Rory and Amy. No, correct. Um, and it's always been this sort of. It felt casual.
1: I think they began as Rory and Amy.
0: I disagree a hundred percent because that
1: first episode. Well, okay, that's I what I'm what saying.
0: You're saying. Okay, no, I, I think actually that's not what you're saying. I think you're saying that Rory and Amy began as Rose and
2: Mickey
0: <laughs> because sure. uh, you know just because yes. when we think of Rory and Amy, yes. So yeah, I, I totally see what you're saying. Um, although again, she was getting ready to marry him, and that's something that Rose and Nikki. Well, Mickey...
1: not in the beginning, yeah, because it's a time jump. So because it's you know they had the events of the eleventh hour, and then like a year later he comes back, and that's when she's about oh, to get right. married. Okay. So, oh
0: yeah, because she doesn't even know him really. Well, in she's the like, first oh. well, she's just
1: she doesn't really. She's like it's my friend. He's like boyfriend. Yeah. You know? <laughs> she's like, ah. yeah.
0: yeah. 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 Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um. So it. You know, she doesn't have any qualms about leaving him to bugger off. Mickey seems a little more invested in the beginning, but then the longer she's gone, the less invested he is. So then when he's like, mm, I might be dating this girl," and then she's like, "Oh,." Um, mm. But at the end of the day, she's like, "Okay. Yeah, it's all right. I've made out with Captain Jack. It's
1: fine. <laughs> but I think Mickey, you know, as much as we could make fun of Mickey, he shows self awareness. He's like, yeah, I came all this way because they're in London. Go all the way to yeah. He's like, why? Why am I doing that when you're just leaving with this guy? And, and now he, you know, I'm going to see this girl who maybe I don't even like, but at least I know where she is. You know, that shows a level and I of think, yeah. Awareness.
0: And I think it's very much a. Two people who are settling because that's all they know to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then when Rose gets the opportunity to expand her horizons off of the council block, she absolutely takes it. But Mickey's left. And then, of course, later on we get that arc for him. Right where he gets that moment and makes exactly the same choice, exactly mm-hmm. the same choice. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting, and I know they're from London, so, but, I mean, it's the way a lot of times, ta- well, it's like New York and in the Heights, you know, It's it's this big place, but there are all of these little communities, and uh-huh. they're stuck in this little community, but when the opportunity to expand... Yeah,
1: yeah, and they all rise to the occasion, respectively.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: Mm-hmm. Just have big guns eventually and shoot things with them,
0: and go have adventures with other companions.
1: <laughs> and then with uh, Boomtown, there's also like loads. Of, and again, this is this is the last episode, really, because the next two episodes are the last two episodes, mm. which is just you know one large story. So there's foreshadow planet with this episode. Um you have the heart of the TARDIS being opened and essentially destroying the villain. Uh, like I said, you have the modern day Cardiff where you know we talked uh, we talked about the rift event. You know, with uh, Charles Dickens and Gwyneth back. You know, this was it third episode I think or something? But this is the one where you still get, oh, yeah, Rift's, Rift's still there.
0: That's a thing. Yep,
1: and the TARDIS has landed. I don't
0: know if you remember it, but it's still there.
1: <laughs> and it landed there right in Millennium Center and right there on the bay. And uh, this may be important several seasons from now in another spinoff series. And then we have um, the Blade Drog uh, nuclear power plant, which, of course, translates as Bad Wolf. And I, I do love the uh, doctor's reaction. What is that? What does that translate? Bad Wolf someone keeps singing. He's like, yes, yes. Oh, well, probably quote in sentence, you know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Pay no attention to it. Yeah. So, so what would you think of Boomtown? Probably it's not one you thought that I would pick, but I did. You no,
0: and I'd, when I think about, you know, I think the Charles Dickens episode would have been also on my list. Boomtown wouldn't necessarily have made the list because then I'd also have the... The um, Lone Dalek. Oh, Dalek. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go with that. (laughs) Uh, That was also on my list. So this one didn't crack my top three or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I agree 100% that diner scene sticks out. Right. It's it's this really lovely moment that uh, I like it. I like it.
1: Yeah. So like I said, you don't often get the, the... Well... In these early days, you don't often get the introspective doctor. Yeah. And I think Moffat plays a lot with it, maybe too much. Um, because you always want to have that mysterious figure in some respects. And, you know, Russell restarting the series. would I, mean, I don't want to look into his mind, but I'm sure that's what he was trying to maintain for the most part. You know, Tim doesn't get that introspective other than, you know, he explores maybe the last of the Time Lord a little bit and Gallifrey and all that, what that means. Um, he's a little introspective at the end about dying and all that. But for the most part, you know, I think this was a nice little moment.
0: Yeah. And, of course, as I said earlier, I always like the Shades of Grey where the villain
1: yeah, uh, isn't,
0: isn't.
1: I do like, I, I, I mean, if and if there's any criticism, which I don't think there is, if there's any criticism at all, you know, you sort of have this, you know, cartoon villain, you know, in a fine way. That's fine. She's a bad person, right? Bad villain. And you sort of have this sort of shade of like, well, maybe, you know, society. But I feel like they almost just let off the guest just only a little bit. Like, I think you could let it off a little bit more and kind of played with this, like, you know, maybe we are need to think about this. No. And then, and, and see, and then the switch at the end thinking, is like, ah, oh, no, just kidding.
0: I was just thinking because they did. I mean, she mm-hmm. does escape. Yeah. At the end. Um, well,
1: I mean, she dies at the end, but whatever. But, but it's
0: not mm-hmm. this heavy handed preacher right we need to sit down with our enemies face to face and you know and we're going to get that in in my opinion a beautiful <laughs> way when we've got the guys that take over people's faces and the os Osborns, osgoods who are the, the the two girls with the scarves and there's the button, and the doctor's like, "No, oh, you have to I sit get it. down." Uh, the
1: tear of the Zygons.
0: Yeah, yeah, which is much more heavy-handed with it. Uh-huh. Still great, not too heavy-handed, I don't think. Uh-huh. But this is much less of that.
1: Right. Cool. All right. Well, any, fi- unless there's any final thoughts about the ninth Doctor notable episodes. Uh, like, so, what would have been your second choice or third choice? Really good, you cheated.
0: Uh, yeah. No, those um I think Dalek or... probably Dalek would have been my next mm-hmm. um because we get to see this great facing of the time war that again we know very very little about mm-hmm. um but the doctor knows everything right. and again I just I, I think that it that's one of Eccleston's most beautiful performances yeah.
1: And I don't have the list in front of me. That probably would have been mine as well. Because, again, not a lot to choose from. <laughs> so there's Rose. I wouldn't have chosen that. There's the final two, which, I, which are fine, but I wouldn't have chosen that. Because then I would have had to cheat and choose two episodes. And I'm not that kind of person. <laughs> um,
0: you did not write uh, out the rule book.
1: And then you'd have the other two-parter from this villain. So that's another two episodes. Uh, the only one which I had, is
0: also fun. Because, you know, Harriet Jones.
1: Yeah. And then you, the only part would be um, the second episode with the... I can't remember the title, but, you know, The Destruction of Earth and Cassandra and all that stuff. All right, well, with that, let's go into the TARDIS library. When
2: you close your eyes.
1: I go to the library. Go to the library now. So, as you mentioned, we'll be talking about Elizabeth, the 1998 movie, premiered in the UK 23 October of 1998.
0: So, not too far back in the TARDIS library. No,
1: but certainly pre-Doctor Who from Mr. Eccleston. Yep. Uh, Of course, starred (laughs) Kate Blanchett, of course. Yep. But, um, you know, Chris Eccleston is obviously who we're going to talk about for the most part. Yep. He played uh, the Duke of Norfolk. I don't know if you can really... uh, Synopsis, it's about early... Life and early reign of Queen Elizabeth. So, um, what'd you think about Chris's performance in this?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's playing.
1: The titular villain antagonist.
0: Yes, yeah, the antagonist. I'm not sure villain is yeah. necessarily the right word, but certainly the antagonist. And yeah, I mean, he does that well. He has a sternness to him that in this particular. Film doesn't get tempered at all, although we do get Christopher bum
1: That's true. That's true. He, he will. He he will. He will go into the scene. Um, <laughs> and I'm wondering because,
0: or I assume we do. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, it's I gauzy know. curtain, so I no, don't know if it was I'm, a stunt double I can, or not. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, you think Christopher Eccles is going to let someone else do his scene for him?
0: For his bum? Probably not. No, no you're right.
1: Uh, I need to know this scene so I can know the rest of the characters. It, and I don't mean this as a critique, but I think in some ways this film, and look, I'm not British, so it's not my history. But, uh, hashtag not my history. No, um, <laughs> it is in some ways, but we'll talk about that later. But uh, it still seems sort of a very basic story. I mean, it's actually, it's, I mean, there's a lot of not-trueness about this movie. You know, that's very gloss, historical interpretation, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But... You know, that aside. It's very basic about this is good, it is this not is bad this nuanced. Is nuanced. Yeah, that's the word no, yeah. no one's really nuanced. But let's you
0: go with basic, I'll go with exactly. not nuanced.
1: <laughs> a more nuanced word. Yeah. So but so let's look at Chris's character, the Duke of Norfolk, and the performance because you know, you can say the Duke of Norfolk, who is uh, has a claimish to the throne. he was. I wrote this down. He? He's Elizabeth's second cousin by maternal grandmother.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure because it's matrilineal. It's
1: Howard, I think, is the family.
0: Which makes sense because Henry VIII was married to both Anne Boleyn and, of course, Catherine Howard, who was Anne Boleyn's cousin. Mm. I don't think that that would give him any sort of tie.
1: But he was sort of. Ex- but you know he's sort of up there. At least that's how the yes, film portrays. Yes, he's certainly
0: very important,
1: right? Especially where you're. There's not many choices where Henry VIII. You only have the two uh, women, and you know Mary, and then has Ed, no issue that Edward. we know of.
0: Edward, you forgot. Edward. Well, Edward.
1: Yeah. Well, everyone forgot Edward. And they then, did. Uh,
0: yeah. Yes. Nine days rain. Yeah. You know. Poor a, Jane Grey.
1: William and Henry Harrison. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> and then Elizabeth with no issue as well. And so then you have this whole. Let's go to Scotland. But anyway, and and then. Both in the movie, well, let's not forget it, real history. We're just going to the movie uh, portrays that he, uh, under the Pope's direction or, or whatever, that he's going to basically uh, try to marry marry Queen of Scots and huh? uh, you know claim the throne. World, I guess, through her stronger claim, but with his benign claim as well, I suppose. Yeah. So there we go. Well,
0: I mean, he's enough of an aristocrat, I mm-hmm. suppose, to legitimize. Um, but yes, the the expectation is that he will marry Mary Queen of Scots. <laughs> he also has permission from the Pope and James Bond to assassinate Elizabeth. Craig, yes, um, and it's fine. And it's fine. Pardon, yes. For everyone. Jesus says okay. That's
1: right. But I guess this is where it comes from. So the nuanced performance—if you want it to be a nuanced performance—and one presumes that. Chris did. This is early, not early days, but, you know, it's 98 um, as far as his career. It's interesting because on the DVD, you can click on the people in the extras and the list their filmography, um, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, I don't know enough about Chris to recognize any of this stuff. But anyway, so the nuance potentially is this, um, is that is he ambitious? Well, this doesn't have to be either nor, but is he ambitious? Does he want... Is he pursuing this thing and antagonizing Elizabeth, and, and or cozying up to Mary, or antagonizing Elizabeth, or all these things, conspiracies just for the, the, the power? and Or is it because he believes what he says, which is that this is for the Catholic faith, and as a Catholic, and the you know, Catholic- he's trying to reclaim... Catholicism
0: is the only true faith. And he's so. trying to
1: reclaim the country for the Catholic Church. And so yeah. that's the nuance, I think, of the performance, potentially.
0: Yeah. What, how, um, where
1: is he coming? I mean, not to be like, what's his motivation, but what's his motivation? What's his motivation? Yeah. No,
0: absolutely. <laughs> um, I don't know, and again, looking at real history again, and I don't know enough about the Howard slash Boleyn family, but again, Anne Boleyn was the whole reason behind the Protestant faith. Um, well, so, Church of
1: England, but yes. Yes.
0: yes well, yeah. Sorry. Anne Boleyn and Martin Luther. Okay, whatever. Uh, 95 theses. Gotcha. I'm on the same page. Um, And so it's interesting that this ambitious, virulent Catholic is part of that family. And interesting to look at how that potentially broke down and, I don't know, that suggests leaning more towards ambition, mm-hmm. but as you say, the two are not mutually exclusive. Although one has at least better implications than the other. Yeah, you know,
1: power for the sake of power versus power for the sake of Jesus. your r- religion. Yeah, and so I mean, and I said it wasn't my. Head. I mean, it is. I mean, we're you know not to to delve into the personal, but we're both Episcopalians, which is the American Anglican you know mm-hmm. tradition. And so Church of England is, is certainly the, a tradition, uh, religious tradition that, we, that I come from, that I'm in. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the history obviously fascinates me. It is, was sort of explained, uh, you know, finally that, you know, that's why I sort of wanted to make the uh, distinction that you have Church of England under Henry the Eighth. And not until Elizabeth do you get like, oh no, we're Protestant principles, Protestant principles, Protestant principles. You know, let's, let's 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 actually make this about something other than just you know, uh, I wanted to marry and money. I
0: have a church <laughs> and it's mine,
1: <laughs> and I have all this money now and land.
0: Yep, and it's all. Yeah, and I get married. I took it from the.
1: <laughs> and I get to marry who least. I want. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so you, we you have Elizabeth, or at least her reign, you know, creating the Common Book of Prayer. Um, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think one so thing... So then
0: James I comes along and is like, I see your book of common prayer and raise you... <laughs> a Bible. A Bible. That's right. <laughs> Boom. That may or may not have been written partly by Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. What you gonna do?
1: <laughs> because I think watching this episode now, uh, or episode, movie, um, having seen it several times at this point in my life, and, you know, I do enjoy it, but I think I did a little more nuanced as a viewer this time, instead of just saying, "Oh, Elizabeth is the good guy and Mary and all the Catholics are the bad guy because Catholics are bad." You know, I think it's you know who who's really the worst person here. You know, I mean, I. Uh, there's obviously a bunch of nuances, especially if you're British, and there's a whole history there. And well, blah, blah, nobody blah.
0: calls her Bloody Elizabeth,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and we had this discussion at another time. It's because well, who wrote the history? So, you yes. know, who really killed more people, Elizabeth or Mary? You yeah, know.
0: <laughs> and and this is a problem that that certainly doesn't get solved here and you know as we talked about the deal was i mean it was very much everybody wanted mary queen of scots to rule after mary the 1st because she was catholic mm. and so then when it becomes clear that elizabeth is not going to have an heir they agree that it's got to be james the 4th of scotland but the deal is he has to be protestant mm. while he rules mm. england and so there's some sort of of compromise and all of that but then of course the the protestant catholic divide in the united kingdom is still
1: yeah i mean still a thing i mean i mean it's long ago but in the british timeline it's not that long ago that catholics actually got rights you know um as far as
0: yeah no not that long ago at all i mean um, we're talking civil rights for us mm-hmm. Uh, right around the same time, and you know, and and is an issue that is popping up, and of course, it becomes it always as it always does, and was then not necessarily about exactly which version of Jesus you adhere to, or whether or not you listen to Mass in Latin, but then becomes a socio-economic issue. Um, but we're running, you know, with with Brexit in all of its hecticness the issue of, of Ireland and Northern Ireland and trade agreements and border control and all of those sorts of things, it's still very much a prevalent issue that still causes bumps in the road, as it
1: And certainly we had Elizabeth twice in Doctor Who. We had younger Queen Elizabeth with the Tenth Doctor. Mm. Um... Well, twice. We had, well we had the younger in the fiftieth during the fiftieth anniversary, because it had been the running joke for the whole series. And then you had the um older Queen Elizabeth during the Shakespeare episode. Uh when she orders the arrest of the doctor, if I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's sort of the Reasonable. nice turnout. and then of and, course we get James the First. Yes, um, of course, and formerly, the thirteenth doctor. Yeah, with the thirteenth doctor and the And Elizabeth
0: the Tenth. So, <laughs> exactly,
1: uh... yes. So well, yeah, and so but anyway, so it's it's and it's,
0: Victoria, but that's yeah, that's different.
1: Yeah, different. So yeah, so yeah, it was it's it's uh, I, I, I enjoy this movie. Again, it's it maybe
0: mm. it This was her coming
1: out basically. This was and she got like a million mm. awards, and that's where how she became Kate Blanchett. But um, mm. yeah,
0: so. and Joseph Fiennes is always good. Mm-hmm. I always enjoy Joseph and in tights because mm-hmm. that is predominantly apparently what he does. Well,
1: I love Jeffrey Rush as Walsingham. Mm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: he makes a very good British man for an Aussie.
1: <laughs> Richard Attenborough. As uh, Yes, of
0: course. And I know that you love his nature shows as well. <laughs> uh, which is our running joke. We know that that's not correct.
1: Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, it's a good movie. All, all the usual British stars make a make a run at it. So.
0: Yep. Cool.
1: All right. So what are we going to talk about next week, darling? I
0: assume we're going to talk about The Ninth Doctor.
1: Well, you would be correct. Thank you. Well, one thing that The Ninth Doctor didn't have that many of the other doctors did have in New Who was
0: a Christmas special. So we will
1: be writing our ninth Doctor Christmas special. Well, thanks to always to Wally and the Sononauts for providing us with their jazz Doctor Who theme tune. And until next week, enjoy the Doctor's many adventures throughout time and and space. space. This is BBC Television.